Today on The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe. Hypocrites love an audience. Hypocrites love to be under the spotlight. Now says Jesus, if in giving, if in praying, if in fasting you're doing this to be seen by others, to impress others, to promote yourself, you're going to have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Welcome to The Verdict, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor John Monroe. We can all agree that hypocrisy is terrible. Yet ironically, many followers of Christ fall into the habit of presenting themselves one way while living another. So how do we pursue a godly life without falling into hypocrisy? Today on The Verdict, we're turning to the teaching of Jesus Himself in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, here's Pastor John Monroe with today's message, Don't Play the Hypocrite. Have you ever noticed we may be tolerant of gossips, of those who tell lies, even of those who are immoral, but very few of us are tolerant of hypocrites. And don't you find it interesting that some of our Lord's most severe denunciations are not on the prostitutes and tax collectors, but rather on the hypocrisy of the religious establishment? We saw last time that the hypocrite is someone who plays a part and conceals his or her true character. And religious hypocrisy is particularly odious. Don't boast about what you're doing or do it for show. Do things privately in a genuine and humble spirit, not to impress others. Now, don't quickly say you're not a hypocrite or you will be missing the point. Let's listen to the teaching of Jesus on hypocrisy. Matthew 6, verses 1 through 8. Here is the teaching of our Lord. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And when your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. That's Matthew 6, verses 1 through 8. Today, Jesus is challenging us regarding hypocrisy. Uh, Jesus gives three examples of hypocrisy, and the worst kind of hypocrisy, I think you'll agree with me, is religious hypocrisy. It's the hypocrisy of the individual who goes to church. And the three examples are giving, prayer, and fasting. So let me read what Jesus says skipping ahead a little bit to verse 16 of Matthew 6. He says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. 
for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, says Jesus, they've received the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do you get the point? That's hypocrisy. In your giving, in your praying, in your fasting, don't do it to be seen by others. Now let's think a little more particularly of the first two, giving and praying. First of all, in verses one through four, Jesus is saying, don't play the hypocrite when giving to the poor. Now the second example is don't play the hypocrite when praying. How do the hypocrites pray? Verse five, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. You're getting the point, aren't you? Jesus helps us what not to do. He's going to tell us what to do in the so-called Lord's Prayer, but in verse seven, he tells us how we shouldn't pray. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. The word empty phrases is really a babble. God isn't impressed. Your heavenly father is not impressed by mindless repetition, by sheer volume of words, by repeating words over and over again. The Gentiles did that, the pagans did that, praying at length with constant repetition to their deities. But Christian prayer is different. Don't pray in a mindless, repetitive way. Don't pray in an ostentatious way to show off. No, your prayer, says Jesus, is not to be with many words. Be precise, be concise. Don't be repetitious. And listen to the practical advice Jesus gives at the end in verse eight. Do not be like them, that's the Gentiles. They go on and on and on and on. He says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. How wonderful, how wonderful. That as I go before my heavenly father with my burdens, with my requests, with my anxieties and my worries, my father who loves me, he knows my needs before I ask him. You say, well, why would you ask him? Why'd you bother praying? Well, that's another question. But if you're a parent, you love it when your son, your daughter comes to you with a good request. You may well know that they need such and such, but doesn't it show humility and doesn't it cause joy in your heart when your child comes and asks you for something and you're able to help. God wants us to pray. God knows your needs. So, however, because your heavenly Father knows your needs, as we pray, we need to be careful. We're not turning our prayers into a case where we're informing God as if God doesn't know. I've had people pray about brother so-and-so, and as they're praying, they're telling God the hospital room he's in. He's in, he's in Pineville and he's in room 232 with his ingrown toenail. And you think, you know, do you really need to inform God about that? Do you think God doesn't know the room he's in? 
I mean, why are you going into that detail? Or here is somebody who wants to quote a verse of Scripture in their prayer, which is very good. Scripture encourages us to do that. But they, they want God to know the chapter and verse where it's found. Do you think, you know, God wrote it. Do you really think God needs you to tell him the chapter and verse of the particular scripture? No, your father knows what you need before you ask him. This is a tremendous encouragement to us. As we pray, no, this is not an opportunity to impress others with our biblical knowledge, with our knowledge of chapter and verses, of our piety, of our devotion, of our concern. It's not to impress others. Now, we've got to be careful. We're going to see in chapter 7, judge not that you be not judged. So it's not for us to judge others, but I'm talking to you. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself that when I pray and when you pray, don't be repetitious, don't show off, or you may fall into hypocrisy. Now Jesus is going to do something wonderful in the next verses that Lord willing will think of a couple of weeks. He's going to teach us how to pray. What's the basic point today? When you give, when you pray, when you fast, don't do that for the applause of men. Do it for the approval of God. In other words, everything we do as we follow Jesus Christ is to be God-centered, not self-centered, not man-centered. When we gather here for worship, we're not here so that we can have a good time. I trust we do, that it's joyful, and our hearts are uplifted, but worship and prayer and giving and fasting is all to be presented as an act of worship to God. And as we remember that, as we're God-centered rather than self-centered or man-centered, this will help us to guard us against hypocrisy, which so easily comes into our life. And it is so easy to be self-deceived. And so Jesus, after his teaching against murder and adultery and lust and how we're to love our enemies, obviously thinks this is very important. Part of what said the greatest sermon that was ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I believe that the key to understanding these verses, or one of the keys, and to understanding the Sermon on the Mount is something which I've said before, and it is a relationship with God. Notice how Jesus refers to God in the Sermon on the Mount. Of all of the titles, of all of the designations that we have in the Old Testament to refer to God, notice how our Lord Jesus refers to God. Chapter 5, for example, verse 45 so that you may be sons, he doesn't say of God, that's true, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Chapter 6, end of verse 1, then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Verse 4, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. 
Verse 6, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 8, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 9, pray then like this, our father in heaven. Verse 14, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Verse 15, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Verse 16, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in heaven, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Chapter 7, verse 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You get the point? Over and over again, as Jesus is teaching his disciples, he's teaching them something wonderful. Yes, God is great. Yes, God is eternal. Yes, God is almighty. But I want you to understand Jesus saying to his disciples that you have a heavenly father, your father who is in heaven. And over and over again, as we've read, the relationship that we have with God, the almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the great I am, the God who was and is and ever shall be, that through faith in my Lord Jesus Christ, now this great God, this almighty God, is my Father who is in heaven. Isn't that wonderful? I have a heavenly Father. Who's he saying this to? He's speaking to those who are in the kingdom of heaven to those who have repented and believed in the gospel, to those who are his followers. They're following Jesus Christ. But now when they think of God, Jesus is saying to them, and I'm saying to you, remember this, in your prayer, in your giving, in your fasting, in all of life, remember, God is your heavenly Father. And my Father is with the Lord. He's a good Father. Some of you had fathers that weren't so good. But we have a perfect father. Jesus has said that in verse 46. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. God is a perfect father. All wise, all loving, almighty. And he knows you. And he knows your needs. And as we come to him, we come humbly. I trust sincerely, without hypocrisy, Without false motives, we come to our heavenly Father. How am I to respond to him? We're to love him. We saw that a few weeks ago in Deuteronomy 6, repeated by our Lord in Mark chapter 12. We are to love our God. How are we to love him? We're to love him totally and supremely. We're to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might. Every part of my being I'm to love God is the point. Why? He's my father. Not only am I to love him and trust him totally and supremely, I'm to trust him, I'm to love him, and I'm to trust him. Someone said to me the other day that they trusted very few people. They'd been so hurt 
I understand that. All of us have been hurt by people, perhaps by our own fathers, perhaps by close friends, perhaps by a business partner. We're all let down. We've, we've gone to someone and we felt they've trusted us and we've trusted them and they've let us down. It's a terrible feeling, isn't it? But when you go to your heavenly father in prayer, remember, he's perfect and you can trust him. He loves you. You can trust him today. You can take that anxiety that's bothering you tomorrow and commit it to him. You're to trust him with all of your heart. That's what he wants. That's what pleases him. Not to live a life where you're focused on what other people think about you because most of the time they're not thinking about you at all. They're thinking about themselves. No, I'm to think of my father in heaven. Is he pleased with this? with the way I pray, with the way I give, with the way I preach, with the way you conduct yourself in your home. It's all referred to God who is our heavenly Father. And this relationship then of love and of trust, which is to characterize followers of Jesus Christ, what does that lead to? It leads to obedience, doesn't it? It leads to use the expression we have here in chapter six, verse one. It leads to us practicing righteousness. I'm to love my father. I'm to trust my father. Yes, and I'm also to obey him. He knows best. I am to follow him with humility because yes, he's my father, but he's also the great God. A relationship then to my heavenly father of love and of trust leading to obedience of life. You say, John, I, I'm not sure if I'm there. And as you've talked about hypocrisy, I, I feel a bit convicted. Yes, so do I. It's so easy to fall into it, isn't it? We sang the wonderful hymn that Christ is our hope in life and in death. And you say, what way is Christ my hope? He is my hope. Because the magnificent Christ, Matthew has already told us right at the beginning of his gospel. He's given this name Jesus because he comes to save his people from their sins. That Jesus comes to save sinners. He comes to save liars and immoral people and gossips and cheats. Yes, and hypocrites. He comes to save people like you and me. The popular hymn, you know it well, Amazing Grace. It was written by John Newton, an Englishman who used to trade in slaves. That's a pretty disgusting way to make a living, isn't it? To sell men and women and boys and girls as slaves. I can imagine John Newton going to church and someone looking at John Newton and saying, what a hypocrite. He's a slave trader. How would John Newton have responded? I think John Newton would have said, yes, you're right. I was a slave trader. And even when I was trading slaves, I was a, a big hypocrite. Yes, you're right. I'm a, I'm a terrible sinner, but I've been saved by the grace of God. I once was lost in my wickedness, in my hypocrisy. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. And written on John Newton's tombstone is the following. Sacred to the memory of John Newton, once a libertine and blasphemer and trader of slaves in Africa. Pretty bad, isn't it? 
But notice, but renewed, purified, pardoned. Don't you love that word, pardoned? Pardoned and appointed to preach that gospel which he had labored to destroy. What a wonderful thing on his tombstone. But God in his grace reached down and saved a man like John Newton. Our mission is being and making authentic followers of Jesus Christ. I'm glad the word authentic is there because that's the opposite of hypocrisy. All of us would like to think that we are authentic. We're not perfect. But I think in the grace of God that we are authentic. That we seek to love God that we seek to love one another, that we seek to grow in the grace and knowledge of, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that we seek to go out to our neighbors, to love our neighbors, and indeed to love our enemies, and to tell them of Jesus Christ. That's wonderful, isn't it? To be an authentic follower of Christ. I know my brother, my sister, that's what you want. What a great desire in life. Not so much to seek the approval of others. Not to do things to get the well done from people, but to do things as an act of worship to your heavenly Father. I'm going to ask us just, as you sit at home, just to pause for a few moments. Perhaps there's some hypocrisy in your life. I I suspect there is. I think few of us would say we are 100% authentic. So... If there's a hypocrisy in your life, would you just quiet your heart and confess that to the Lord and claim his forgiveness? And then if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Will you pray to receive Christ? Oh God, thank you for loving me. I admit that I'm a sinner, a hypocrite, deserving eternal separation from you. I believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, paid the penalty for all of my sins when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. Lord Jesus, I now trust you as my personal Savior. Thank you for giving my sins. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Come and save me and help me to live for you. Amen. You're listening to The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe and a message titled, Don't Play the Hypocrite. If you want to revisit any part of this lesson, you can easily do that anytime on our website at theverdict.org. And as a special addition to this series, we're offering a helpful Bible study resource that gets to the heart of Christian living. It's a booklet by John called Life in the Kingdom, and it deals with what it means to follow Christ as taught by Jesus Himself in the Sermon on the Mount. It takes you through key passages of Scripture and provides a clear understanding of how to live for the eternal kingdom of God each and every day. And right now, you can request a free copy of Life in the Kingdom by visiting our website at theverdict.org. And while you're there, be sure to also sign up for our monthly email list to get the latest ministry news and insights from John. Here at The Verdict, we're committed to sharing and teaching biblical truth with as many listeners as we can. And we invite you to be a part of this gospel work throughout this new year by supporting our ministry with a financial gift of any amount. When you give, you help bring these Bible programs to your community and around the world. So please make a generous donation today by going online to theverdict.org or call us at 
551-2231. You can also send a check through the mail. Just address your envelope to The Verdict, Care of Calvary Church, 5801 Pineville Matthews Road, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28226. Now, here's John. Well, what's your verdict? Any hypocrisy in your life? How easy it is for us to be critical of others, but never see the faults in ourselves. Don't be like the Pharisee in the temple who thanked God that he was not like others. Do a self-examination in the presence of God. Be humble. Be a person of integrity before God and before others. Praise God that our Lord Jesus died on the cross for all sinners, including hypocrites. And don't forget to tune in next time as we consider the Lord's teaching on prayer. Thanks for joining us today on The Verdict. I'm Michelle Davies. Today's program with Pastor John Monroe was produced and sponsored by Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina.